0: There are a number of preachers that I could even name that say that being a Christian is the easiest thing that you can do, the absolute easiest thing you can do. And I, I mean, honestly, I have no reason to make it harder than what it is. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? But it is probably easier to become a Christian than to be a Christian. Do you understand the difference between the two? It's easier to become a Christian than to be a Christian, to actually act like you are a Christian. Mark Twain said of classic books, he said, it's something that everyone wants to have read, but no one wants to read. I'll say this of Christianity. He said, following Jesus is something every Christian wants to have done, but very few want to do. You see the difference between the two? A lot of people are happy to have Christ like a, you know, like the bobblehead Jesus that they could put on the, on the dash of their car. You understand what I'm saying? I got him in his place. I want to keep him there just in case I get in trouble. If I don't get in trouble, then I don't want to bother him and I hope he doesn't bother me. And that's what their faith is like. See, I have a hard time separating trusting Christ as Savior and not trusting him as Lord. But I realize that so many people that call themselves believers are walking on this earth without the joy and the peace of the Lord because he's not their Lord. There's a difference between the two. See, I do know... That when I have been away from the Lord, I didn't lose my salvation. In other words, when I couldn't call him Lord, I didn't lose my salvation. In other words, that acting like a Christian is not a prerequisite for being a Christian. But when it comes down to it, it has to mean more than simply saying, I can check the box and there's nothing else left that I need to do. For Christianity and our faith in Christ shouldn't be a burden either. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 records what Jesus would say. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I'm finding that people are not finding rest for their souls. And what I believe is, is it's not because they are not believers in a lot of cases. It's because they are not resting in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's not their Lord. So, this is not a burden, and I never want this to be a burden. But I wanted to read the scripture of how there was a calling for those people that were disciples. And I was supposed to get to the story of the, as Jesus calms the storm, I didn't get there. I got stuck right here. It says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, do you see this? He says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. See, Jesus has been out healing people. He has healed Peter's mother-in-law. You read the stories right in front of it. He's brought, they brought many people to him. They brought the demon-possessed people. And, he, and, you know, he was casting them out, the spirits, these evil spirits, by his word. He's healed all that had brought to him. In fact, Matthew will, uh, will quote Isaiah and say, he, he himself took our illnesses and carried away our diseases. And a crowd gathers. Now, let me say, imagine you hear a story like this. You don't have the history that you have right now, but you hear a story like this. There's this guy that is out here and he is, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. I mean, there are people that, you know, that, uh, that, you know, they're different. In other words, so you go, you say, I just don't think, I don't think that's really going on. You're a little skeptical about that sort of thing. But then you start seeing these people who were sick and now they're well. And you see these people that you called crazy before, you know, they were acting out of their minds and suddenly they seem to be in their minds. Wouldn't you check it out? And would you go out? That's where the crowd gathers around. But in this, (laughs) I'm afraid there is an entertainment factor that we have there. The problem with entertainment is, is that every time you entertain, you've got to beat that entertainment to come to the same level of entertainment. There's a problem. There's an encore problem. Because the entertainer wants to leave the crowd wanting more. But it's said there that Jesus, he got in the boat and went to the other side. He had a crowd. He had a crowd. You will never be able to call Jesus Lord with sincerity if you don't get on board with his purpose. We will never be able to call him Lord with sincerity. Because we follow Jesus as Lord with a purpose. His purpose is that we win people to Christ and teach them to obey what he said. But 95% of Christians have never won one person to the Lord. Not even one. And we get so caught up in having crowds. Jesus didn't seem to get caught up in having crowds. But we get so caught up in having crowds, we are happy to have a crowd without ever reaching anyone. So would you be satisfied if this room was absolutely, absolutely full to the brim and there was not one person that we had ever led to the Lord? Be honest. Would you be satisfied with that? And would we be satisfied with this room being full but few if any, able to truly call Jesus Christ Lord. That's where we are for church today. We would rather have a crowd and Jesus would rather have followers. There's a difference here. Jesus could have been the Messiah that the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees wanted. I mean, after all his teaching and his miracles were appealing to a crowd. And he could have had greater and greater crowds. I mean, why wasn't it after, you know, after he fed those 10,000? Those I mean, if he, he didn't get a publicity guy. And say, you know what, the next time what we're going to do is we're going to gather that crowd together. We're going to tell their friends that you thought you got fed the day before with the fish and the bread. We're going to beat that all over. Go get your friends. You come back here. We're going to have a bigger crowd than ever. And then, Jesus, what we want you to do. We want you to call a fog out on the Sea of Galilee and they cannot see you. And then we want the fog to kind of clear back and we want you walking on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, don't you know the crowd would have gone crazy then? Wouldn't that have been a great way to get even a bigger crowd? But Jesus was not so cool with that. See, what happens is Jesus would rather that you take on his purpose He'd rather that you call him Lord. So he heads for the boat. (laughs) He heads for the boat. Let me read the next one. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The one who calls Jesus Lord is bound only to Jesus. Understand this. The scribes were very important people. They judged in court cases because they knew the law so well. They expanded the understanding of the law and their and their deliveries, their rulings in these court cases. They developed the structure for the synagogue meetings and they controlled the synagogue meetings. These are what they did. But Jesus said this about the scribes. He said... And Mark twelve thirty eight, And in his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like personal greetings in the marketplaces. They wear these long robes and what Jesus, when he was teaching... He could recognize, there's a scribe right over there. I see who this guy is. He knew who was listening to him. He knew his lifestyle. But following Jesus may not secure, a, comfort, uh, a, secure or a comfortable lifestyle. I will say this. It may not be secure or comfortable. The scribe could not follow Jesus and expect to have that nice bed and that nice house he was living in. That's the case. These things are not wrong to have, but they become secondary when you follow Jesus, having a nice house, a nice bed. And so they cannot be a concern when obedience to Jesus is called for. Lordship calls for complete obedience at all times. Lordship is whenever, wherever obedience It is exactly that. Lordship doesn't take into account the cost or the effort needed to act. When Paul was writing about this commitment in Philippians chapter 3, he said, More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them mere rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. I don't want to be too graphic here, but when I translate that word rubbish, the King James got it right. You know, the word translates dung. You know, I know you keep a little trash around your house. You probably don't take your trash out, but once a week, I bet you flush your dung every day. I bet you get rid of it right away. It represents something that is absolutely worthless, and this is what he's trying to say. All of these things. all. All of these comforts, all of the things that I even could have had. I don't consider them having worth it all in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus wanted the scribe to understand that he was not asking for that person. I don't want you to be that casual student, you know, the one that enrolls but never graduates. I don't want you to be that individual. I want you to be the one who is totally committed I looked up one seminary. I could have looked up others, but this is the one that had statistics. But Fuller Theological Seminary estimated that 30 to 40% of the people who enter ministry do not stay in it. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Even in the ministry, when something comes up, we're talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Some people say, I'm not going to do that. I like my comfort. Now, I'm not about saying, you know, people change their professions. What I'm trying to say here is, is that sometimes the world pulls on us so much that what we think is, is that it's better than following Christ. Now, I will tell you right now, I'm not just picking on the people in the ministry. You, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're in the ministry. Now, your financing plan may be different. It may not be that the church was supporting you. It could be that what happened is, is that you were a bus driver or you were something else. And that was what supported you in the ministry. But you're in the ministry. You don't need the position or the title to be in the ministry. But when you get in the ministry, you can't quit either. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent uh, uh, I have spent uh, and and I have spent adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure of of, uh, on me of concern for all the churches. Somebody should have said to him, Paul, give it up. It's too hard. Why don't you quit? Everything's going wrong for you. You're not even gathering crowds around you. You're not able to live in a nice place. You don't have a nice donkey to ride. You don't have any of the things that the really good preachers have. What are you doing? What are you doing? You ought to give it up. Paul understood. You don't give it up. My, great, uh, my grandson is eight years old. And uh, he and I was over hit at his uncle's house. His uncle had some weights in the garage, and the little boy got down on the on the uh, bench press, and he started to lift just the bar. You understand? I think the bar is about thirty pounds. I'm not sure how much it is, but anyway, he's eight years old, and he started. I said, I said, "Come on, Carter, keep lifting it." And he kept, and then he said, "It hurts." I said, "It's supposed to hurt. The benefit comes from the hurt. Do you understand?" And what I'm trying to say is we don't hurt ourselves. I'm understanding that when we follow Jesus. And Jesus doesn't seek to hurt us. But following means that we will suffer at some times. And we need to recognize this. Let's go on to verse 21 here. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What is that saying? Lordship takes priority. It takes absolute priority. Jesus was not telling this man he could not go back and have his father's funeral. Lots of people misread this. This man was saying, I want to wait until my father finally dies. And then we have his funeral. and Then I'll come and follow you. I want to put some suspense, I want to put some some distance between here. I want to put something and say, and then I will have this happen. You know, when is there a better time to preach Jesus than at a funeral? Think about that. I mean, just think about it a little bit. You have the most or the greatest number, I should say, of people who have never trusted in Christ. They'll come to your funeral. And you got them. they're captured. They're not about to get up and walk out because they don't want to be embarrassed by this. And you have the opportunity of, of telling them where the person who died, what happened to that person if they were a Christian. And if not, you tell them the way that the person could have had this place called heaven. And so they are there and they can hear it. Now, understand, you can get them in church. You can get them in church, but for the, a lot of people, going to church is like, you know, I'll just go out and I'll lay on the railroad tracks and I'll just get some sun. I'll lay out here because they tell, hear the story there and they say, I don't see any urgency in this. But when you're at a funeral, death is on their mind because that person has died. And there's some rumble in the tracks, if you understand what I'm saying. They know they got to do something. And I want to urge you to... when. When you die, don't tell people you don't want a service. Tell people, I want Jesus preached. That's what you want. You want Jesus preached. So this man was making an excuse for not following Jesus and a lot of people have thought, oh, I think that was reasonable. You know, the most common excuse I have out there, because they think all I want them to do is come to church, They say, once I clean up my life, I'll come to church. It sounds like a good excuse, doesn't it? They say, as soon as my life is cleaned up. He said, let me tell you what I believe. You know that prodigal son who treated his father like he was dead, took the father's money, ran off and lived it up, ran out of money, went into a famine, ended up, you know, feeding pigs, decides he has to come home and he gets home. And he's on his way home. You know, and he greets the father. You know what I believe? I believe he still had the smell of pigs on him. I still think he had the smell of pigs on him. And to tell me that, you know what? I'll clean up before I come to church is, is like saying, I'll get in the shower and wash off as soon as I'm clean. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'll get in the shower and I'll wash off as soon as I'm clean. But the lordship of Jesus requires that you walk with the Lord. Excuses delay and keep you from that walk. You cannot have a virtual presence with the Lord. When Jesus said, follow me, he put that in the present imperative. What that means is it's always follow me. And it's always a command. In other words, it doesn't say follow me when when he said that to that guy. It says follow me all of the time. Continue to follow me, follow me, follow me. You see, when you follow Jesus, you don't take any breaks or vacations. That doesn't mean you can't have breaks or vacations. But when you have a break or vacation, he is still your Lord. I worked for a guy in the oil field supply business many, many, many years ago. He made a lot of money, I'll be honest with you. But he lacked the peace and the joy of the Lord. And what is, I mean, he's a good Christian man. understand he was a good Christian man, but he lacked that joy and peace. His wife came to me. It's interesting. She came to me. I wasn't in the ministry at that time. She said to me, he has walked down the aisle of two two times in church, knowing that God has called him to preach, but he just hasn't gone. And his excuse was, I got to make a living for my family. Sounds like a great excuse, doesn't it? But you understand this? If God has called you, God also makes a way. He makes a way that you still take care of your family. And I am sure that God had to make a little lemonade there because his life was still, he was still a good Christian man, but he didn't have the joy and the peace because he didn't do what the Lord had told him to do. So why don't we follow the Lord completely? Why isn't he truly the Lord of our lives? You're not going to like my answer. You know what the answer is? We can't. We can't. That sounds funny, doesn't it? We can't. Paul would say, For I know that good does not dwell in me. That is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. So we do not have the ability to act whenever and wherever. Our flesh loves to be comfortable. Our flesh believes that excuses make perfect sense. Our flesh cries out for us to be famous, for people to know us. And we want to be cool. And we don't do it naturally. And we can't do it naturally. So do we throw in the towel? Do we say, you know, I was just born this way? (laughs) Seems to be the motto of, people who don't want to change. But Paul did know that Jesus was his Lord. And he was the Lord of Paul's life. So how did he do it? It says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11, he says, not that I speak from need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little, And I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Yes, yes, that's where he was. How do we get to that spot where he was? See, when you don't have enough strength to do it on your own, what do you do? You get strength from someone else. So what does Paul say? The next verse after all of this, which we misquote, I think, a lot of times, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You're not going to have him the Lord of your life if you try to simply do it on your own. You must have his strength. So I would say to you, when you have the time, Maybe now, maybe later. Say a prayer like this. I don't have the strength. I don't have the strength within me to call you Lord or to make you Lord. Understand that. And so I'd say, I must have your strength. I must have your strength if I'm going to be able to do this. So please, Lord... Give me strength to follow you completely. It's not about me. It is not about me. For I will follow you even if it costs everything. I will make no more excuses. Would you have the courage to pray that? Would you pray with me?